0: This week, Peter and Jonathan talk about handling unhappy customers, the Young Entrepreneurship Council, and Volkswagen. You're listening to The BeeCast, the official podcast of Bplans.com. Each week, we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson.
1: Well, we're listening to uh, the
0: B-Cast right now, episode 15. 15.
1: Episode 15. Here we go. We're going to talk about customers. We're going to talk about customer
0: service. So today's article that we're going to talk about is called, How Should You Handle Unhappy Customers? And we've done an article like this before where it's uh, using tips from members of the Young Entrepreneurship Council or the YEC. And so we're going to go through one by one and talk through each of their tips.
1: All right. In the meantime, uh, what do you do with these unhappy customers? What is a bad customer? What? How, how, do you, how does it begin? So uh, someone bothers calling your hotline saying, I am unhappy with you.
0: Something is wrong. Service or product
1: provider. Yeah, and it's one of
0: two things have happened. Either you have legitimately made a mistake as a company or the customer perceives that you have made a mistake in some area. What do you do next?
1: Well, so I guess the first question is, like, is this a big deal? So what's, you know, what's the point of even addressing a customer complaint? It's just one out of maybe
0: hundreds or thousands of other people, right? Yeah, it, it could seem very insignificant, but uh, there's some data out there that uh, suggests that it actually is not insignificant. Okay. Um, the White House Office of Consumer Affairs suggests that it's six to seven times more expensive to gain a new customer than it is to keep an existing one. Wow. So you might be thinking, hey, I can ignore this customer complaint because I've got new customers customers walking in the door but it will be more cost effective for you to take the time that you need to to help that customer out
1: well that's cool but what if you're a customer that only buys the product once
0: yeah so for the one time purchase you could still lose that customer during that transaction. 78% of consumers have abandoned a transaction due to bad customer service experiences. And that's from the American Express survey of 2011. So
1: that's not just a squeaky wheel. That's not one in a thousand. You know, the thing I read uh, is that unhappy customers are highly unlikely to be repeat customers. That 89% of customers report having stopped doing
0: business with companies because of bad customer service. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And they're not isolated either, are they? They're not just walking you know, back to their homes and not gonna talk about it. In fact, from bad customer service experiences, people are twice as likely to talk about those than they are about the good experiences that they have.
1: Yeah, I don't know if anyone uh, works with uh, Comcast out there. And I there's a few excellent oh. examples, I think, over time of the level of customer service getting so poor that it becomes conversational. I think what these points are are saying to us is that really everyone, almost everyone, 89% of people have changed their actual buying behavior based on poor customer service experience. So to answer your question,
0: how important is this? It seems pretty important. Okay, so from the YEC, these uh, members have given us their tips on how to handle unhappy customers. And let's talk about number one, assessing the weight of the complaint.
1: Yeah, so assessing the weight of the complaint is just this idea of, you know everyone who takes a call everyone who answers the phone you know you're going to have this notion of of urgency someone is calling because this thing is urgent to them but you know what's the reality to it is it is it truly uh, a critical thing? Is it truly a sort of bug in the software, if you will? Uh, is the product broken? You know, what's the
0: necessity of fixing it? The other thing to consider too is the customer themselves. You know, have they called before? Do they call regularly? And are they often complaining about some things that either seem relatively insignificant or just it appears that they can't ever be happy? So before you proceed, you know, get a good assessment of what they're doing. You know.
1: You know, go ahead and give them the time to listen. But then I think the next point, which is a good transition, Mm -hmm. start a dialogue with the customer. Don't just listen. Do a good job listening. Right. But don't just listen. Allow some questions to lead into, you know, what's really going wrong? What are they really upset about? Is this you know, going to affect their purchase
0: decision in the future,
1: Uh, you know, and what other questions should we ask?
0: Well, if you have a customer who's angry about something, a lot of times by the time they're getting to you to bring their complaint up, they're starting off with the thing that's most pressing or, or the thing that they're most upset about. And that might not actually be the problem. It might be a symptom of the problem. So they're saying, you know, I'm really upset about X. And if you just attack that, maybe you're not going the full mile on this. Instead have that conversation with them, back it up, maybe find out what started it, how did it happen, and you might get to an actual, you know, problem that's worth solving as well.
1: Sometimes a customer might call and describe a feature that you know is missing from the product. In that case, you know, you might get tiresome to answer the same question over and over again. And I think that might be one of the core elements. Uh, in a more customer service-oriented role, that leads to these, you know, famously rude calls or you know off-putting calls. So the dialogue, this idea of starting a dialogue, is not just in order to speak, in order to be more human, but it's also to learn a little bit more in depth about, uh, you know, what the product can do. Uh, in order to improve and in order to avoid future calls. But the benefit then is that you then have fuel. You then have new ideas to then improve the product.
0: Yeah, and this is a point that Ty Morris of Songwheel, uh who gave this tip, uh, brings up. He's saying the con- the consumer criticism is an excellent source of ideas to improve a product. So the interesting thing there, another good transition here, the way that you do
1: that is to think about it not just from your own perspective, but to be a little bit empathetic, a little bit sympathetic maybe with the person who's on the other end. And to the next point, answer it personally, but don't take it personally. So I'm going to try this one because yeah. I, I, I didn't like this at first. Mm-hmm.
0: Here's what I think. I think these are two separate thoughts. Answer a customer complaint personally. You know, Have a personal touch in it. And then as a separate thought completely, don't be offended by it. Don't think that the person is you know, attacking you because they're upset about a product or service. So
1: there's a, I think it's a double-edged sure. sword situation. You've got the one end of, you wanna have enough personality on the call that you're there, you're present. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of that same uh, coin, you uh, are not getting offended because this person is, you know, going wild out of control, yelling into the phone, asking for your
0: manager. But what do you do 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 if they insult you?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm going to go ahead and say that there is a case where the opposite of the next point is true. Uh, And we do this here at Palo Alto Software. And, you know, hopefully none of those folks are listening. But, you know, I, I actually ask any business owners out there who have ever had to fire a customer... Hmm. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe hear some stories. Don't don't make them too graphic. But the idea of firing the customer is this notion that sometimes a customer is taking up more time, taking up more resources to service than the value of the product that you're actually providing them. If a customer is wild, out of control, Mm -hmm. cursing, talking about whether or not they're coming to your house and what they're going to do, and at a certain point in time, six hours on the phone is too much for a $10 product. Mm -hmm. And it's just gone too far. And sometimes it's just easier to say, we're going to give you that $10 back. Yeah. Your product has been returned. Thank you. And uh, maybe even recommend a competitor. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, The fact is that there are people out there that will sap more time from this customer service and you won't learn from the interaction with them. And learning where that line is, is an important part of this customer service equation. I think that wasn't covered in this article, but I'd like to add it, because it's the opposite of the next point.
0: And the next point is, use a complaint as an opportunity to gain a lifelong customer. So what are you talking about?
1: You know, a lot of people look at customer service as maybe not like the most fun job. They immediately come to the angry customers, Um, But I think overcoming an angry customer and making them into a lifelong customer is one of the most exciting and fun things that can happen in terms of customer engagements. So the next point, keeping a record of the complaints. This is obviously important if you're going to learn anything yeah. if you're going to have a positive experience if you're going to try and take tallies of how you've been doing over time it goes back to this whole lean idea if you're going to measure something right. how are you measuring it keep a record That's- okay
0: but why are you keeping the record are you doing it you know for legal protection in case somebody comes back and says they they weren't treated well, what's the record for? Perhaps some are, but Maybe that's know, a this value. is going to
1: go a little bit into our, our discussion later. But you know, if you've got a confirmation bias that your product is great mm-hmm. and you're the person who, whenever you answer the phone and you get a negative complaint, you discount it from your brain immediately because you've still got yeah. 100 other people who say that your product is good. Mm-hmm. And I ask you, well, how many people have complained about Feature X in the last two months? The person who's discounted them all's answer is going to be very few it'll almost always be fewer than the actual number of complaints. The reason for that is because everyone wants to forget about that, and most often people do put that out of their brain immediately as possible.
0: Okay, so it's furthering your knowledge. It's quantifying the feedback so that you can use it to improve your product. Absolutely. Got it.
1: Um, The next point here that we're talking about here, thank customers who voice their complaints. So that's just saying uh, thank you for calling at the end.
0: Is that right? I think it could also be starting with a thank you. You know, I think it's a nice way to diffuse a situation. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes in thinking that they're going to, you know, knock down the doors with their complaint and, you know, get your attention and, and you start off instead of being defensive and saying, you know, like, "Who are you to say this?" or "That's not true." You start off with saying, "Thank you." It communicates dignity. It communicates that you value that person and what they have to say.
1: I wouldn't know. I'm not good at thanking people up front. So I have to wait till
0: everything's done, till the dust (laughs) is
1: settled. And if that person has still had a negative experience, to my previous point, Mm -hmm. uh, I like to get a little follow-up in there, you know, get a little maybe discount situation. Uh, We've got a little research point here that says 92% of customers said they would be willing to go back to a company after a negative experience if they either received some sort of follow-up or even offered a discount or some kind of enhanced service. Mm -hmm. So again, the benefit is in the numbers, frankly, 92%, yeah. that's a huge number. The
0: point is, is, regardless if it's right at the beginning of your, your response or at the end as a, a sign-off, saying thank you communicates that you value the customer and helps ha- them have a good experience.
1: So the next point, thank listen you. without bias. This is a good tip from uh, Robert Smith of InfoFree, but listen without bias. Tell this me what that means. This is
0: probably, out of all these tips, this yeah. is probably the hardest one to actually do. Okay. It's hard to hear feedback Criticism of whatever it is that you're doing and and producing, and not just assume that the person is wrong, right? You spend a lot of your time with your product or service and you love it, you're passionate about it, and somebody comes up and says something about it is wrong, you want to discount that immediately.
1: Well, I mentioned the confirmation bias earlier, and Mm -hmm. that's something we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, The notion that you always kind of want to learn more about or you're you're, you're inclined to learn more about the things that agree with your existing belief.
0: All right, our next tip is do whatever it takes. Knee-jerk reaction. Do you agree with that?
1: Uh, No. There's there's limits, and I mentioned the idea of firing a customer before. Mm -hmm. You've got to know where those bounds are, and I think you start establishing boundaries like do whatever it takes. Do what it takes. The customer is always right, and you lead to some pretty serious problems.
0: So Nordstrom, famous for their customer support mm-hmm. and doing whatever it takes. The the legend, as I've heard it, is that it's up in Fairbanks, Alaska, a customer wanted to return tires. Lux. Lux. Tires Lux. Lux. to Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nordstrom doesn't sell tires, they sell clothing. But he brought them in, and this concept of doing whatever it takes said he wanted to return his tires, and the uh, service agent, went ahead and just gave him his money back for tires that he did not purchase at Nordstrom.
1: I mean, why are we even having this discussion is kind of my question. What benefit could you possibly reap from having people walking around saying, yeah, he took my Apple money and and even though he's a banana stand.
0: The idea of setting yourself apart by having a reputation for great customer service does have an impact, I think, of building affinity for your brand. People Deciding to purchase from you in the first place because they know that if something goes wrong, you're gonna take care of it My point
1: is this at a certain level the the sort of platitude level of customer service that do whatever it takes mm-hmm. The customer is always right I think is a bit of a trap and I think you need to set your own standards and know the beginning and end of where you want those conversations to
0: last I think if customer support is one of the main points of your business that you are going to use as a differentiator between your competition, especially if you're talking about markets where there is a lot of competition. If it's that scenario where it's one of the main tenets of how you market yourself, then I do think you need to make sure that you're doing just about whatever it takes. We'll get back to that, I think, later as well, talking about where do you draw the lines.
1: So a more moderate point of view, the next point in this article.
0: Impress them. Yeah, maybe you're not doing, you know, whatever it takes Mm. without reason, but there are some things that you can do to make a really big impact on the experience and go above and beyond. You know, I think... For us, we've seen customer uh, feedback on this kind of stuff, where it's like, I I mentioned this problem. It really wasn't that big of a deal to me, but it it was kind of an annoyance, so I mentioned it. And -and so-and-so went above and beyond. You know, that not only did they fix that problem, they also helped me, you know, go to the next level, or they refunded this. It was way more than I expected. I think that's what we're talking about when we say impress them. I
1: think this is a great place for us to all take a moment to thank Our uh, worst-case scenarios, Comcast, Mm -hmm. every major airline. Yeah, United in
0: particular, Continental.
1: (laughs) uh, Because it becomes increasingly easy to impress a customer who has a lasting impression of customer service as a horrific experience. So the good news for
0: all of us is that
1: impressing them tends to be just showing a modicum of humanity. (laughs) Yeah,
0: right. So here's a toast to all of those poor customer service companies. Cheers to you all. For lowering the bar. So are there any outliers? Yeah, I think there's a concept. I mean, we're going to call it reverse customer service. I think that's a a bit hyperbolic. But the idea that as a company, you say, Not only do we have this as our customer service experience, but you as a customer have specific responsibilities.
1: Let's put this in the context Mm -hmm. of the luxury brand. Okay. So the luxury, my favorite story is uh, on the television program, Top Gear, uh, the Ferrari uh, manufacturer of cars. (laughs) Uh, had made a product called the Ferrari La LaFerrari. <laughs> Wait, what now? Which Top Gear made fun of incessantly as being called the Ferrari the Ferrari. Yeah. Anyway, over time, they wanted to race this car around the track. It's a typical thing to do with, uh, with cars. Uh, Ferrari was so upset by their constant ribbing, <laughs> uh, but also for the potential for this supercar to mm-hmm. lose, uh, that not only would they not let them have a test car, but Ferrari decreed that any customer who is caught lending their car to the program Top Gear uh, would not be allowed to purchase from them in the future. I would, I would regard this one as a pretty uh, a pre- a pretentious extreme example, but certainly it does afford an air of luxury. Uh, But also, you know, there's this air of, uh, you know, sort of exclusivity. You're part of a club. We in this club don't do this. And that is all kind of inherent in these more luxury brands. Mm -hmm. It's certainly a major modification that would absolutely not work for everyone out there. So, hey, listeners, what do you think? What do you do when that person calls who's out of control? You ever fired a customer in the past?
0: You could tweet or you could email. bcast at bplans.com is our email address.
1: Absolutely. And then email my Facebook.
0: Or you could tweet us. At Bplans, that's all it takes. You can use the hashtag Bcast if you want, but we'd love to hear about your customer service experience, maybe as a customer or as a business owner. Tell us a story about one of your customers and maybe how you were able to impress them, go above and beyond. We'd love to hear your story. Well, I think with that, we're ready to move on. Okay. Hey, Peter, we have Scott Gerber from the YEC. He's the founder. He's joining us today to talk about the young entrepreneurship council, unhappy customers and uh, maybe a little bit of chat after that. So before we talk about the customer article that we've been discussing, you know, we wanted to maybe let you give us a, a little background. What's the YEC?
2: What do you do with it? What when did it start? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, YAC was started uh, late 2010, really out of a need initially to uh, bring together the top thought leaders in entrepreneurship that were actually in the trenches doing it under the age of 40 um, and, uh, you know, helping other people learn about Entrepreneurship in the most, you know, terrible of times for millennials, which was the 2009 and 2010 sort of economic collapse. Mm. Uh, it is now since then morphed into uh, really the authority in uh, the sort of young entrepreneur space uh, when it comes to elite organizations uh, comprised of the uh, biggest trendsetters and leaders that are owning companies under the age of 40 in the multi-million or multi-billion dollar range. Uh, and also to use this brain trust to give back to, uh, as a social good mission to never forget where we came from and just help the next uh, wave of young entrepreneurs become successful through thought leadership, educational content, personal mentoring.
0: So when you started the, the YEC, you know, was it just you kicking
2: this off the ground? How did, how did you get it up and running? I, I really did it because after I had, uh, exited my previous business, I didn't know what to do with myself. Uh, you know, here I was, was a, a young 20-something. Uh, I, I felt like I had something to give. And, and so in doing that, I think the reality is, is that people saw that mission, saw that vision and started surrounding a like-minded idea. I mean, if you really, you know, want to hear serendipity, the reality is, is my, my partner, uh, Ryan... I would meet almost a year into building the quote-unquote original YAC, basically because one of the members had introduced us because of a mutual need. It really was fortuitous that this social capital really played out the way that it does every day now. It's such a great story, uh, and the rest is history.
0: That's great, yeah. The question I had about the the membership, you know, are you getting applications from all over the world, all over the U.S., or is it pretty uh, specific to a, a location?
2: Yeah, I mean, we are predominantly North America-based. Uh, uh, that's where about ninety. Uh, of our members are, uh, the ones that were not Were usually based in companies from the U.S. and either expanded or, you know, have moved on uh, to other uh, startups around the world. Um, But, uh, you know, we have plans for international expansion coming up, um, even though the predominant stuff as of now, I would say, is the U.S. and Canada.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, So if people want to learn more about the YEC, what can they do to to find out more? Yeah, you go to
2: YEC.co. And if you want to see if you qualify for consideration, it's YEC.co. Co backslash qualify, uh, and there you'll learn what our baseline criteria is, how our voting process works, and uh, see if you can apply uh, to get an application.
1: So Scott, one of the things we're talking about today is going to be these uh, unhappy customers, and I'm sure uh, it's it's a it's a daunting topic for a lot of the young entrepreneurs out there. And and possibly the kind of thing where when you encounter it the first time, maybe the first 10 times, first hundred times, it can get a little overwhelming. And, you know, I think some of the reassuring uh, topics that came up in this article are are really great for young and older entrepreneurs to read through, to think through, uh, but also to kind of examine what your own personality and what your own strategy is on this level. Um, Is this something that comes up uh, in conversation a lot with these young
2: entrepreneurs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen. One thing that I always want to stress to folks is just because you have a certain age and a certain business doesn't mean that you are uh, having different problems in every business owner in the world. It's just sort of maybe a different look or feel or way to tackle that problem. Um, but listen, everybody deals with with customers that are, uh, you know, having a bad experience or frankly wrong, and you have to still see if you want them as a customer and, and go through that process. Um, so I think there's a lot of different things to to think about. Um, we think customer service is the product. Uh, at YEC, I speak obviously for the organization of YEC, not necessarily every member, but I, I would imagine most people agree. Um, I think people get it wrong all the time and say customer service is the aftermath of a purchase, of a purchased service or product, and that's fundamentally incorrect. People buy an experience, even if you're buying a kid's toy. You want to know it works. You want to know it's authentic. And, and if you don't look at your entire product, which includes, you know what, my product is broken. It's not here on time oh, I had a bad experience with it. I want something better. If you can't realize they're buying into you and that that comes with a lot of responsibility, you haven't thought through those systems, procedures, and opportunities, I think you're fundamentally misjudging what business you're in.
1: You know, Scott, that's an interesting idea. I think probably maybe the older folks out there in business, you know, it's it's a little more confusing to think of post-purchase customers as a community. But, you know, a very famous example nowadays is like Tempur-Pedic, the mattress company, where they highlight people who are happy with their purchase, thus forming this sort of over-the-fence community. You know, I would like to be more like these people who are happy with their purchase. And so you know, is there any thought of that now with social media coming up so hard? Uh, you know, how does that fit into maybe the kind of
2: more youthful approach to running these businesses? Yeah. I mean, you know, you are in a 365, 24-7 environment now. Um, You're visible everywhere. You're communicative everywhere. You need to be everywhere your customer is and will be. The reality is you really need to talk about your communication strategy, right? Whether it's 140 characters or 140 words, what is it that helps your customer achieve the maximum level of satisfaction and customer happiness? And, And frankly, the only way I know how to do that is to be authentic and real and to have you know, customer service specialists that really are human, that are not trying to systemize, that are not canning responses, that are really intuitively understanding problems and good moments that are turning things around. I mean, how many times have you looked at a Twitter feed of like an airline, all right, that probably all day long is just hearing how much they suck, right? (laughs) And you see every time, what's the response? Oh, no, we're so sorry. Contact us here. Make me better. I mean, it's so inauthentic. So I think that you can look at what other companies do so poorly and then turn it on its head. I mean, I'll give you an example. In my experience, thankfully, we have a very high retention rate with YEC and with Forbes councils. Uh, and and by benefiting from the value of those businesses by having great members, you know, when there is a bad experience, we're not just going above and beyond. So if we know that you had a problem with our membership, not only are we going to make it better, but we're going to go on top of it. We're going to say, you know what, John had this problem last year. I wonder if there's like five books on that topic we could send him and he could get at his doorstep in five hours from now. Right? There's there's certain things outside of the box thinking you can do. When you think about you as the customer, what would you want?
1: Scott, doesn't that lead to the question, though, uh, at what point are you doing too much for customer service or for customer outreach? I mean, it Doesn't the ROI start to, to decline after a certain point?
2: I mean, listen, I can speak to membership or any business that has recurring revenue as a starting point, okay? You cannot think of a customer service outreach as an expense. You have to think of it as an opportunity to engage to make more revenue. I mean, the reality is is that if they have a bad experience, they're never coming back, and you potentially lose a long tail, which could be as much as 95% of the lifetime spend of that customer, right? When you put it in those terms, I don't care if you're selling celery in a marketplace. You all of a sudden can say, well, if I have a bad experience in this supermarket, I'm never coming back. But I usually shop three times a month at $350 at a margin of 10%. And I would be there normally for probably five years until I move. What's the value of me caring about the next time you go buy celery?
1: So really the idea of like building the personality as part of the brand, part of the outreach. Is that kind of the uh, a good summary of what you're saying there?
2: I mean 100%. I think it's 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 being human and being treated or treating people as you would wish in your highest level of expectation you want to be treated. It doesn't mean you don't ROI test what works versus what doesn't in the kinds of things you do. But you can come up with tiers and processes and you know a slate of things that work and then customize those various activities to those individual customer patterns.
0: That does raise the question is there a limit to that is you know, is it retention at at all costs? How far do you go with it and and where should you draw the line?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't want to make a generic statement for every business that ever came and ever will be. I will say in our business, and again, a membership business, retention is the metric. Again, it's not just am I going to lose that customer and that value. And again, I'm talking strictly business terms now. Obviously, I don't think of my customers, which is probably the number one thing, uh, as quote unquote retained revenue. I think that's a stupid way to look at it too. But in true business terms, The value that person will give back to the organization is twofold. It's one, the lifetime member spend on services or on membership, but at the same time, it's also on, are they going to tell five people that you really want to get into this organization and if you're lucky enough to get in, sign up immediately it's the same principle of when somebody has a bad customer experience, they're going to tell 10,000 people. When they have a good one, you're lucky if they tell one. Um, There's always a point where the customer is wrong. We have fired members before that just asked so much of us, and we're so unbelievably uh, in the wrong, uh, and this happened in previous businesses too, that you just have to at a certain point say, okay, you know what? This person might blast me online saying that I'm terrible and we treated them poorly, but you have to be able to say, you know what? We did everything and more and more to that, and this is just the kind of person you are the line shifts though by product by industry by vertical of your business whatever it looks like I think you have to set those lines ahead of time so that you literally know where that line is and not make it up as you go but
1: Scott at a, at a real level I mean it, let's say customer service disasters you know uh, you know airline destroys my guitar you know or uh, you know I am Comcast like how do you how do you recover from these situations what what can an entrepreneur do uh, if they if they hit kind of one of these worst case scenarios?
2: Yeah, I mean, first off, determine, is it a worst-case scenario you're willing to stand by? Um, you know, like I said, did they cross your line and simply put, you just can't do it anymore? They're too draining on the business time and resources. Uh, they, they're, they're unrealistic. You know, whatever the case may be, like, it, then you have to just stand by it. And when you're questioned on it, be prepared to answer to it. Um, I often say the number one thing you should always do is try to conduct your customer service in public versus private. Um, Whenever possible, because people are not stupid. Okay, if you have a big chain out there that is public, anybody, you could stand by what you did. And it's fantastic. Unfortunately, not every business can do that. And sometimes you shouldn't do that. But it gives you a, a sort of chain of ownership of what you did. And people will be like, wow, that could actually end up being a great thing for the company because you're being very clear. Like, look how far we went when that's not possible or when you truly make a worst case scenario. And, you know, the reality is not to hide Um, I think what happens so often, especially with these corporations is they say, we're sorry, here's the press release. It's so inauthentic. It's so crappy that it only makes people hate them more. The thing I always say is get in front of it. So for example, if you were saying like the airline thing broke your guitar, I mean, again, this is coming back to ROI, right? What is the lifetime value that that customer brings my airline? And think of it not as, okay, if I spend a thousand dollars on a guitar, Okay, and get it to his house gift-wrapped with free tickets the next time he needs it, what is the lifetime that that customer is going to tell that story to 10 friends, be like, wow, I can't believe an airline actually did this, told the amplification of it, put it probably on social media, because how often do you get a good story that happens to you, and then the person is likely to be a long-time customer? How is that not the best solution?
0: Excellent. So you know we are talking about Volkswagen uh, and the scandal that's come up. You know, they're, they're already kind of past the point of no return in some senses with it's already come out, it, the problem is the problem. You know, c- can they ever earn their customers' trust again? You know, what do they do moving forward? You know,
2: it's interesting. I, I, it's hard for me to comment on a specific story, but I will, uh, my friend Gary V uh, once said something very, very smart, and that is he, he walked into a meeting uh, of, an, you know, a big brand, and the big brand had a massive problem. Uh, and, uh, basically they had messed up, something was wrong with the product and they knew about it. Mm-hmm. But what the point was, Gary said, okay, is it true? They said, yes. He said, how do we make it go away? He goes, you can't. And that's the reality. You can't lie. I mean, there's no customer service on the planet that can mop up total disregard for respect of the client. You, you, you tarnish every level of credibility. Sure you could switch CEOs, which I think they've either done or probably will. I think yep. the CEO uh, actually just resigned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, But the reality is the average consumer doesn't care about that. They don't even know who the CEO is. Those are such corporate dealings that people think that they're not thinking about the true thing. Hey, we messed up. Not only do we mess up, we lied to you and we put your family's safety at risk. We don't know what to do. We're going to work on it and we're going to figure out how to make it better. That's probably the best you're going to get. And if you're lucky, you survive. Customer service should be a resort of making a bad experience that happened either by accident or out of the normal the best possible. It is not meant to be something like, hey, the company is disingenuous. What we believe in is actually garbage. And this is our cleanup crew. That's where the differential of the line is, in my opinion.
0: I think those are great insights. Thanks for sharing. You know, Scott, if we wanted to read more uh, from you or just follow you on social media, where can our listeners do that?
2: Well, definitely check out YEC related content on B Plants. I mean, you know, uh, we, we, we love working with you guys. We're very excited about that. Uh, again, YEC, YEC.co, or you can look at our uh, sort of uh, accelerator that's under YEC called Founder Society. That's foundersociety.co. And if you want to follow me, Twitter is the best place to go at Scott Gerber. So uh, thanks very much for the opportunity, guys. Appreciate yeah, it.
0: Thanks a lot. <laughs> So, Jonathan, sometimes these
1: uh, customer stories, they can get out of control. What about, uh, top of mind, top of my mind, uh, Volkswagen?
0: They've been accused of, in a sense, falsifying or cooking the books, as it were, on emissions tests.
1: Well, at a software level. Right. So they maliciously and purposefully inserted software that defeated the smog emissions test unit. Only when it was being tested.
0: Yeah, it could detect that it was being tested. Yeah, and would change report, its performance yeah, so that slightly, it would. Slightly, but and in right. fact,
1: not just slightly worse information.
0: <laughs> Forty times. Forty
1: x four zero. That's x incredible. Off. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, and we're not just talking about this being an issue that maybe affected a handful of cars. This is to the tune of eleven million cars have this software in them, and are needing to be recalled.
1: So, from a just a customer standpoint. Uh, What's
0: this do for Volkswagen? How do they recover from this? Is it possible to recover from this? I think in terms of their road to recovery there are going to have to be some some major things that happen Already the CEO has been let go and and a new CEO is in place Um, But is this something that you can just apologize for and hope people forget? What do you have to do?
1: Could they ever come to you Jonathan and say hey listen man? We're real, real sorry. Uh, We want you to buy a Volkswagen as your next car, Mm -hmm. and here is something that I'm gonna say to you or offer you that will make that feel
0: good to you. Yeah, and they've actually tried to do this, right? They've offered $1,000 in credit to their US customers. Is it enough? Because here's the thing is that people purchasing diesel Volkswagen vehicles do so and have done so because they believed that it had fewer emissions. If you've specifically violated that piece, then you're really kind of undermining the very reason that people use to purchase your vehicle in the first place.
1: I actually feel like it's even deeper than that. You know, this, you mentioned these, the the folks who are the purchasers of this product are, you know, driving around taking some level of pride in the environmental sort of aptitude that they have. Mm And in fact, they were wrong that whole time. Right. So there's this huge sort of like it's not just the trust issue. It's now this like
0: they've become disillusionment
1: like, yeah. of the entire brand. I'm really more interested to see if the psychology can be reversed.
0: Yeah, and I guess maybe it's the cynical part of me says. Volkswagen is going to get hurt a lot by this, but over time, I actually think that it won't be that big of a deal to them. I think it's going to be a blip. Uh, if they can survive this, uh, people, I think, will forget it. Listen, well, let's start but with that. It
1: has have you ever done something? This is an interesting one. Has anyone out there has have, Hey, listeners. Have you ever done something that you thought might actually ruin the business? Did you recover from it? Were you not able to? We'd love to hear that story, and maybe we can publish a couple stories online.
0: Yeah, if maybe you don't have a story like that, but you just want to give us your opinion, tell us what you think. Send us an email, bcast at bplans.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter, at bplans. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business.